We'll have a bonus episode of this podcast posting later today, Tuesday. Olivia Mitchell has gone out and talked to people about two recent police shootings and how they're feeling in this week when the whole nation is charged over the issue of police shootings. Look for it later wherever you get the podcast. It's this week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues Jane Cahoon, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. We're having some technical difficulties today, so so bear with <laughs> us if people disappear mid-sentence. Let's get right to it. What makes Nan Whaley a good Democratic challenger to Mike DeWine in next year's governor's race? And Jane Cahoon, why are there no Northeast Ohio people running for any of these offices? <laughs> well, they're running for Senate. <laughs> but uh, first of all, let's let's not pretend that Republicans have not dominated all of the statewide elections in recent years. So Nan Whaley starts with a big challenge there. OK, but yes, she's a good candidate. She's She's got a higher profile than she did the last time she ran for governor in 2018. She's got experience leading Dayton through lots of tough times, not just the coronavirus pandemic, which she did a good job on, but a devastating tornado and a mass shooting in 2019. And, you know, her handling of the mass shooting sets up a real contrast between her and Mike DeWine with with her pushing for gun reforms and DeWine being absolutely unable to do anything about that, even though he vowed to. So, in fact, her introductory campaign video includes footage of DeWine addressing a Dayton crowd right after that mass shooting and being shouted down with with cries of do something. And uh, while Nan Whaley stood by DeWine when he introduced his package of gun reforms, the, the, you know, even though she said they weren't really enough, the fact that he's been unsuccessful in that regard. I think that gives her an opportunity to paint him as weak, which she's already doing. She she said he's just too weak to stand up to the interests in his own party. And, you know, that could play well with voters because while while there's a strong coalition of gun rights people in Ohio, there there is public support for things like background checks. And plus, I think Whaley's relatively young. She's she's young to me anyway. She's 45. And She's a really engaging person. You know, DeWine is older, of course, and while he's folksy, he's he's a little more buttoned down. So I don't know about the personality factor here, but plus she's she's pushing herself as the candidate for the middle class, saying, you know, we don't need more millionaires, which I think is an obvious jab at DeWine's wealth. But her her middle class background could could resonate. And of course, she's trying to capitalize on this massive federal corruption probe we have going on uh, involving lots of Republicans and other scandals. You know, she's trying to keep those front and center saying, you know, we can't do business like this in Ohio if we want to help the average person. Look, she's a high quality candidate. There, there's no doubt. I mean, if you think back to some of the previous Democratic candidates like Ed Fitzgerald, which were a total joke, she she's for real. I just wonder whether she has any chance against the DeWine. DeWine appealed to a lot of Democrats, at least in the beginning of the pandemic with how he handled it. And we haven't seen a recent approval rating, but they were pretty high. It almost feels like the bigger challenge to DeWine would be the one from within his own party, where far-right fringe conservatives challenge him for not being conservative enough. And in a Republican primary in the rural areas, that could play. If it were head-to-head between DeWine and Nan Whaley, that's just an interesting one. I, 
I do think it's a little bit false to challenge him on the gun idea for being weak. I mean, his problem is the Republican legislature, the gerrymandered districts have created kind of wingnuts throughout the legislature. Dan Whaley's not going to have any better luck getting right. gun reform oh, right. there than Mike DeWine would. And I think DeWine could fire back on that and say, look, you know, I, I agree. We need to tighten up the gun laws, but that's not the governor that's in the way there. It's not my yeah. problem. It's the Republican Party. Well, I don't know. Would he criticize it? I think it would be interesting. Like, let's assume Mike DeWine survives whatever kind of challenge he gets from the right and makes it through the primary. Is that going to weaken him as a candidate? Or is that whole element that in the far right Republican Party that he alienated, are they just going to sit on their hands on Election Day, you know, which would benefit her? So it's it's really hard. It's so early. I mean, this we're we're talking about next year, of course. Yeah, but there's never ending political season. Layla Tassilar Johnston, she is close to your age. Do uh-huh. you think the age difference between DeWine and Nan Whaley could make a big difference with Ohio voters? I mean, every time I see her picture or her on TV, I think, wow, she's really young. And I think that's a great thing. I was just thinking, I don't know that many younger set politicians. I mean, Mandel's not very much older than us either. I mean, totally different race, but you just don't see that many people of in their early 40s running for statewide office. It's, but it's time. Yeah, it's time I, for I your generation. She's a woman. Yeah, my age. It's about time your generation stands up and fixes all the things that the older generations have screwed <laughs> up. So we'll have to see how that one goes. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. With Cuyahoga County Executive Armand Budish calling county workers back to the office, does he have a legal, legally defensible ability to compel them to be vaccinated as he is considering? Laura Johnston, this one's interesting because not even the Army can force soldiers to get vaccinated because the FDA says this has emergency approval only. It is not a fully approved vaccine. And yet Armand Budish is considering requiring county workers to be vaccinated. Yeah, this is going to be a big issue, I think, as people talk about going back to the office. I started Googling it yesterday and it like filled it in for me. So, you know, there are millions of people across the country are Googling, can my employer make me get vaccinated? But this was an email that came out Friday from the chief of staff, Bill Mason, saying that employees who have worked remotely since last spring are expected to return in person to work three days a week, starting on May 1st and starting on June 1st, that would be five days a week. There could be exceptions. There's been no decision about this vaccination requirement, but they are studying it. The CDC says that they can, that governments or employers can require a mandate that workers be vaccinated. Rutgers is trying this. Of course, there is that huge argument that there's not full approval, but the U.S. Equal Opportunity Commission has advised that employers can ask employees whether they've been vaccinated and can request proof if They can establish a legitimate job requirement. But obviously, these are advisements. There is going to be legal challenges. So a lot of employers, rather than dealing with a lawsuit, are just going to give incentives. Like if you're vaccinated, we're going to be, you know, upping your health benefits or or giving gift cards or something. Well, here's the thing, though. Is this just the new form of racism? Because we know people of color have been much more reluctant to trust the government with vaccines because of a long history of abuse. So if the the majority of people in your workforce who haven't been vaccinated are black or Hispanic or a different minority, 
if you install that policy, is it a racist policy? That's a really, really interesting argument. And I think that that probably is going to be playing out here. And you're right. We were just talking before the podcast started that the demand for the vaccine seems to be waning and the people who want it have gotten it. And it'll be interesting to see the breakdown of that. Well, but we everybody has said from the beginning, no one will be compelled to get this shot. Right. But if you're a county worker and you can't come back to work unless you get the shot, you are being compelled to get the shot. And look, it, it there there are legitimate reservations people have about this shot. It was an emergency approval. And so there are people that are worried about that because they they know there have been previous things rushed into the system that have turned out to have bad effects. We hope not. All of us have gotten it. And are trusting science to keep us safe, but you can't really begrudge people that are nervous about it. And I, I'm just, I was surprised because it didn't seem like an Armin Budish move at all to force people to get a shot like this. This is Layla Tassi. I, I'm frankly kind of surprised that they're forcing everyone back into the office five days a week anyway. I mean, I got to believe, I, I, you know, I've never, I haven't been all over the county building, but I got to believe it's a cubicle farm and it's going to be hard to do social distancing. And without any clear idea of how immunity is, like how many people in their uh, herd over there have been vaccinated, how do they know that this is a safe move? I just think uh, it sounds so dicey to me. Maybe I'm just so on edge still because I've been doing all the things I've supposed to be. I was supposed to be doing this past year, but I just think that sounds so risky to force everyone back in five days a week without any idea of of whether your workforce is adequately protected. I mean, we all went to work from home last year when there were no cases of COVID yet. But the county is a customer service center. I mean, there are a lot of services that you get by going there. I mean, you know, you can do a lot of it at home, dog licenses and things. I, I I wish they would have explained exactly though, Layla, what why they're doing this. What what is the reason to compel people to be back five days a week, June first? Right. What are you trying to accomplish? What what isn't being accomplished now? Have they done a study and found that people are not working hard because the rest of the world has seen an increase in productivity with work from right. home? We certainly have. I mean, I'm nervous about going back because I'm worried our productivity will drop. So I, I wish there would have been more explanation. This has not been a very transparent administration. I just, the idea that they would tell them you have to come back and you have to get a vaccination kind of boggles my mind. Cause that, right. that, I mean, is it just me or does that not seem like an Armin Budish way well, of doing business? Not when you're, you know, lately he's been trying to make, make them whole for the furloughs that he forced them to take and then maybe give them an extra holiday for Juneteenth to be 12. So yeah. We've talked in the past that he seems to be courting the favor of his employees. This is completely the opposite direction. Yeah, it's surprising. We'll have to see if they come down. They just said they're considering it. They haven't instituted the policy. Maybe they'll listen to this podcast and think better (laughs) of it. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Is it possible that Ohio's recent mini surge of coronavirus cases is ending? And with half the adults in the state getting vaccinated, are we seeing the trend we've been expecting? Leila Tassi, you get the good news question today. <laughs> yes. Yes. Cases are down, but hospitalizations are up to a little more than 1,300, which is the highest it's been since late February. But health officials say that hospitalizations usually lag behind case counts because it takes a while for people to get sick enough to need treatment. 
So the spike in hospitalizations is likely the result of an earlier spike in cases overall. But everyone's really hopeful that soon we'll see the number of hospitalizations fall to correspond with the falling infection rates. My colleague, Rich Exner, uh, put together this piece full of great data. Everyone should look and, and, and see, you know, the seven-day average, for example, for newly reported cases dipped to 1,917 a day on Monday. That's the lowest it's been since April 7th. Uh, to date, Ohio has reported 18,991 deaths, 55,000 hospitalizations, and just over a million cases. And that means that, I thought this was a little shocking, but maybe we've reported this before, one in 11 Ohioans is known to have contracted the, the coronavirus at some point. That's, that seems shocking to me, but that probably tracks with the national average. When it comes to, to new cases, Ohio reported an average of 1,917 cases a day in the last week. And to put that into perspective, we had close to 6,700 a day at the end of December when everyone was, uh, you know, being knuckleheads and gathering with people at the holidays without vaccinations yet. So, uh, you know, cases are trending younger. That's another interesting fact that Rich included. About 59% of the new cases over the first half of April involved people under the age of 40 in comparison to 44% for that age group during the first half of December before the vaccine was available. I'm sure that's attributable to how many seniors have been vaccinated at this point while that younger cohort are still catching up. But, you know, here, here's some really great news. Almost half of the state's population of people over the age of 16 have had at least one vaccine shot. Yay! <laughs> Rich reported well, that we're, we're at 47%. So that's that's pretty great. Lots of great data. Everyone should go check it out. Well, we kept thinking that that vaccination trend would have to reverse the increase in cases. For the past, what, five weeks, they were going up and going up. And you kept thinking, but the pool of people that can get it is shrinking because right. the, the numbers of people who get the coronavirus after being vaccinated is infinitesimal. So it seems like we, we finally have peaked. The, the, the scary thing is, is that with half of the state vaccinated, demand for the vaccinations is plummeting, which which likely means that we're never going to get to the 70 or 80 percent of the population vaccinated. Too many people don't trust it, which means the coronavirus will continue to circulate in Ohio. It'll continue to mutate and we'll all have to get booster shots for the rest of our lives. Right. What is the what is the percentage of people who are who are choosing not to get vaccinated at this point or holding off? Is it 40 percent? I thought I read that nationally. That's the that's the the estimate. Yeah, it's high. And with Republican men, it's more like 50. But Ugh. but all of a sudden, you know, a month ago, we were talking about the vaccine queens and how people were desperate to get the shot and couldn't find it. And today you can find the shot anywhere. The, the providers are basically begging people to come get it. So that, you know, that sounds like there are a whole lot of people that just aren't interested that, that have listened to the facts and decided to take the risk, which is mm-hmm. sad for the rest of us. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Is there any hope for a traditional Republican candidate with true conservative values, not people desperate for Donald Trump's approval to seek Rob Portman's seat in the U.S. Senate in next year's election? Jane Cahoon, this is a question about Steve Stivers, but it's depressing. Yeah, we did lose that an opportunity anyway when when Stivers, who's from the Columbus area, announced that he's going to leave Congress to head the Ohio Chamber of Commerce. That precludes him from running, which he had been seriously considering and, in fact, had raised 
$1.4 million for his congressional campaign, which would have been a sign of strength coming in. And he was regarded as someone who would who would run in a relatively moderate pro-business lane that appeals to traditional Republican voters, as you said. But is there somebody else like that? Uh, well, there's Dayton Congressman Mike Turner. He's been openly considering getting into the race. So we will we will have to see. There's also State Senator Matt Dolan of Chagrin Falls. I think he is still considering it. And he's a fairly moderate Republican who isn't a really? Trump, Trump devotee. Dolan um, might run? I did not know that. Dolan is one yeah, of the I think people. He, I think he was considering it. I don't know how seriously, but. Wow, um, he'd be great. You know, I mean, he's exactly him. that candidate. He's the guy. I mean, he would not go be a toady to Donald Trump like the current rash of candidates are. And he's got, uh, you know, he's a bona fide guy. I mean, he he has championed good causes. He's tried to work across the lines. He's a conservative. It, it's yeah. too bad that he wasn't the first Cuyahoga County executive because I think he would have set a tone for professionalism. Wow, that'll be fascinating. Yeah. I didn't realize that he was considered. I thought it was just Turner. Just somebody yeah, have to check up. in with him and see where his uh, where his head is at right now. I'm sorry. No, what did you say? It would just be nice to have somebody stand up and say, I'm my own person. I don't care about Donald Trump. He tried to overthrow our government. So really, his endorsement means nothing to me. Let's move Ohio forward. They're all too yeah. afraid to do that. Right. Uh, and you it, know, there's also J.D. Vance, the hillbillyology author, uh, who, who's been considering this as well. But, you know, I don't know. He's sort of, I think, trying to distance himself from past criticism he's made of, of Trump. So I don't know, you know, what kind of candidate exactly he would be. But um, as you can imagine, this divers news is uh, is probably being well received by former Ohio Republican chairman Jane Timken and former Ohio treasurer Josh Mandel, who are both, you know, seeking Trump's approval and and are regarded as the current front runners in the race. Uh, and they're very well funded. So, um, you know, the the other effect of this news, by the way, is that we're going to have another congressional special election to, to Phil Stiver's position. He's stepping down in May. So Governor Mike DeWine's going to have to set a date for a primary and a special election. And it's not going to be the same date as the Marsha Fudge replacement election because the filing deadline for that primary, which is August 3rd, I mean, the primary is August 3rd, uh, is before Stiver's leaves. So there's going to be another <laughs> election and we got a whole slew of politicians in central Ohio from both parties interested in Stiver's seat. So it just is, is that a seat that could be in play or is that pretty gerrymandered to be Republican? It is a strong Republican seat right now, but who knows what could happen after redistricting? You know, that Columbus area has grown a lot. So but the special it, but the special election would be. For oh, the, the special election. It, you got to believe a Republican's going to going to win that. OK, you're listening to this week in the CLE. How can people who are in downtown Cleveland watch the NFL draft next week, even if they don't have tickets to be near the stage? Laura Johnston, there are very limited tickets. They're all gone, and there'll be a lot of people wandering around downtown. Now they can watch part of this 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 spectacle that Layla Atassi can't wait to be a participant <laughs> in. Save me a ticket. I do have my um, registration for the the fan experience that that went really fast too. But these are a separate thing. You do not need to pre-register. You do not need a ticket. It's called the Rock the Clock End Zones. And maybe you can fill me in on why they're dubbing the draft Rock the Clock. 
I don't really get it. Yeah, but what these, the heck? The end zone at Playhouse, <laughs> they'll have end zones at Playhouse Square, Mall C, and the Flats East Bank. There'll be viewing areas set up with live music from DJs. They'll have outdoor seating and takeout from surrounding restaurants, but you cannot bring alcoholic beverages into them. So, sorry. COVID safety measures are going to apply, so you'll need a mask unless you're sitting or eating. And there will be food trucks at Mall C. There's, there's certain hours this will be open. They didn't explain these end zones very well. All I'm thinking is they're going to have like massive screens so that you can see the picks one by one. And then you'll get to sit with your fellow fans and, you know, hope for the best. Look, Laura, did, a- wait, did you say you're going to the fan experience, Laura? I, yeah. Yeah. With my kids. Okay. So I'll let you know how <laughs> jumping against the, the holograph is. But look, this is this is a big event for Cleveland. This, this is probably in the NFL second to the Super Bowl. The question that we'll have coming out of this is what would it take for Cleveland to get the Super Bowl? So people are excited. It's mm-hmm. going to showcase Cleveland for the world. So setting up areas where the public can participate, that's a good thing. Th- yeah. This is a big event. People will be able to feel like they were a part of it. You know, I'm, I was wondering if they were going to do something like this to give people a chance to to participate. And this is cool. I, the, yeah. the no alcohol thing's a little strange, but because it's and, the NFL. I mean, like it's beer. Right. right. So and and these are gathering areas anyway. Right. You know, with a star plaza and playoff square, Flats East Bank. These are places that people are going to be naturally. So now you'll have a, a spot you can watch the draft unfold where you want to be anyway. The other thing is, it's a, it's additional showcases for Cleveland. Mm-hmm. The, the, as the cameras go around and they show people at these very photogenic places, it makes it look like a great place to live. And remember, Destination Cleveland is trying to use the exposure we get from this draft to get people to move here and take the vacant jobs. That's a very good point. We can We can show everyone the world's largest outdoor chandelier. There you go. <laughs> you're, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. Why is the Ohio Pharmacy Board more than doubling the number of medical marijuana dispensaries in the state? And how can people get the licenses? Leila Tassi, we talked for years that the legislature did everything possible not to make marijuana available in Ohio (laughs) while claiming they were to thwart any citizen-led ballot initiatives. But all of a sudden, it seems like Ohio might be getting behind the distribution of marijuana in the (laughs) state. Right, right. And like you said, they're doubling the licenses from... 57 to 130. And the reasons are pretty simple, actually. The board wants to increase access for patients who've had to drive long distances to buy it. And they want to create more competition to drive down the prices. They made this decision after surveying patients who use the dispensaries and and finding that more than 58% were dissatisfied with the prices and 20% were driving more than 30 miles to get their products. Sometimes that's because they live in rural areas that are nowhere near a dispensary. Other times it's because lines are too long at the dispensaries that are closer to their to their home. Here's the fa- the most fascinating part of Laura Hancock's story. When Ohio's program began, officials assumed there would be 12,000 to 24,000 patients in the first two years based on the experience that other states had. In January... <laughs> which is the first, you know, it's the two-year mark since the first dispensaries opened. There were 136,000 patients. I Did I read that right? I mean, that's that's astounding <laughs> that they, uh, they didn't uh, predict that accurately at all. Uh, high demand for medical marijuana in, in Ohio. And that said, 
they believe a lot of people got their prescriptions, but were deterred by these long lines and long drives. So they kind of walked away from the program altogether under the new rules. If, if you if you want to run a dispensary, this is to your other question about how do you go about getting this, uh, getting getting a license. If you pass a, a minimum business security and legal standard, you can apply to, to be entered into a lottery for the district where you'd like to operate. The board expects this to be much more fair than the previous system, which was that they would assign a numerical score to applicants and award licenses to the the highest scoring ones. And that resulted in a bunch of lawsuits. So this lottery system should should be more equitable, it seems. And that hundred plus thousand doesn't include all the people that just gave up on Ohio and drive to Michigan and buy it there where it's completely legal. So that's probably, you know, 50,000 more. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How are the Cleveland Indians adjusting their maximum crowd size in progressive field now that Ohio Governor Mike DeWine has lifted the state's restrictions? Jane Cahoon, if I understand this correctly, I have a lot of questions about how this will work. But what, what are the Indians announcing? Oh, boy. I hope I can answer your questions. They are increasing capacity for their home games to 40 percent in May. It It's now at 30 percent. And this is a result of Governor Mike DeWine lifting the capacity limits on outdoor gatherings. So it's going to expand capacity from 11,500 to 14,000 in this ballpark, which seats 35,000. The reason that they're not increasing it more is because they still are required to keep fans in these pods, which which have to be distanced from other pods. So, you know, th- this is a situation they're looking at like month by month to see whether the the situation changes. So tickets for the 12 home games that they have in May are going to go on sale on Monday, May 3rd. They're going to be sold in quantities of two, four, or six tickets to make up these pods. And there are a limited number of the six-person pods available Fans are going to have to wear a mask um, unless they're actively eating or drinking in their seats. So, right, so what else do you want to know? So here's the creepy <laughs> part of this. It sounds like if I want to go with my wife, that they're going to arbitrarily pick eight other people to sit with me in my pod elbow to elbow, oh, man. separated from others. That that that's a little bit, you know, kind of creepy. Laura and I were talking before the podcast. I saw that the Oscars are not going to require masks. Everybody's sitting in that, in that auditorium, elbow to elbow. We'll, you know, we'll be breathing each other's air. That, that one threw me that, that you will be sitting with people you don't know. You don't know if they have taken the precautions you've been taking elbow to elbow. In the Is that how you're interpreting it? You're not interpreting it. Like if you buy two tickets, you get to sit by yourself in a in a two no, pod or something. I read it. I read it as they are going to have ten person pods throughout that stadium with social distancing between the pods, and they'll sell the tickets to fill those ten person pods. You I mean, don't think it would be like you, a maximum ten person pod? No, I, I don't think you could get to the capacity unless you did it that way. You could, you you wouldn't be able to do it. That's what they were doing. They already were doing the. You buy your tickets and then you're separate from other people. They made the distinction in their release that this is a 10 person pod and that they'll put the pods together. Well, what the, what's the point of that? I mean, you could have up to five households in one pod then. And that's that's super dangerous. Yeah, but but then you're socially distanced from everybody. Else. <laughs> I don't know if if we have this wrong, we'll have to correct it tomorrow. But that was my reading. <laughs> yeah, of it. Was I mean, to talk about. As a holder of a season ticket package, I have lots of other questions <laughs> because I've been told 
you know, we can now go to May games, but, you know, we probably can't have our regular seats and, you know, who are we going to sit with? So I, I have questions as you do. This is Laura Johnston. My my question is, I mean, so we're selling 40% of the tickets. Can you just like up and leave and be like, I'm just going to go sit in tall bleachers by myself in the nosebleeds? I mean, are they selling those? I think they have to sell those to get to that capacity by separate. If, if their goal is to have 10-person groups all through the stadium, I think you need to sell out the whole place to get to that capacity. Now, whether people will go or not, I don't know. I mean, you got to see a triple play if you were at the game in Cincinnati. Can you just raise your hand and go in a separate line and be like, I'm vaccinated, put me next to whoever you want? Well, you, that's the thing is you you you, you wonder when the, the vaccination will make a difference in this kind of thing. Because if I were sitting in a pod with other people who are vaccinated, I'd have far fewer reservations than sitting with people who didn't get vaccinated because, you know, they're anti-vaxxers and they probably haven't been wearing masks and so I don't know. I, it's just a, it's one that it, it raised some questions. And if I'm reading it correctly, that's the way it's going to work. I have I have the solution. You just quarantine with those 10 strangers for two weeks before the game. That's OK, there you go. <laughs> All right, Layla, we'll we'll suggest that to the Indians. You're listening to this week in the CLE. That'll do it. Uh, look for the special episode later today with Olivia Mitchell talking to people about the recent police shootings. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Laura, and thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. 